Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it is Adam Spinella over in beautiful Virginia. It is Sam Vecini over here in lovely Melbourne, Australia. And we're going to dive into some NBA news and notes on this episode. We've had a lot of news happen over the course of the past half week. So the order of operations here is going to be that we're going to talk about the Ime Yudoka situation in Boston, then the Boyan Bogdanovich trade to Detroit, then the Jay Crowder trade request from the Phoenix Suns. Then we're going to talk a little bit about some extensions like CJ McCollum and Dean Wade, and then we're going to do some mailbag questions as well. So, Spins, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Sam. Uh, always good to see you, you know. Long weekend here for me, so uh, if we go into the wee hours of night, that doesn't kill me here because we've got a lot to, to talk about today. Uh, a lot of news, as you said, going on, and for my Boston Celtics, it's been a particularly busy week, but we've got uh, we've got a full show here tonight. Yeah, a lot of news has broken over the course of the last week, and I guess that the only place to start is with Ime Yudoka. Ime Yudoka was suspended by the Boston Celtics for uh, what they referred to as essentially breaking uh, team rules. And it has since come out via reporting from Shams Trania, from Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN, that the rules that have been broken here is uh, a relationship with an employee of the Boston Celtics. And uh, a further reporting from Sham Shrania revealed that there were also some unwanted messages being sent from Ime Yudoka to this female employee. And once that happens, it's just no longer consensual. And it is in every way an unacceptable situation. Uh, not that, to be honest, if you're Ime Yudoka, I don't find it to be an acceptable situation to have a relationship with someone within the organization, if only because the power dynamics are so vast between a head coach that's making $4 million and um, any woman that is within the Boston Celtics organization. So it, it's just not acceptable to begin with. I think that you know it is reasonable to suspend Ime Yudoka for a year for this, and I I'll, before we get into like the future of Ime Yudoka, I'll just ask you for your thoughts on this spins. Like, what what do, what were your immediate thoughts when you saw this? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm crushed for everybody else in the organization, particularly uh, you know the women involved, and and even those who yeah. weren't necessarily involved, but for you know 
some reason over the last week had their names dragged into different parts of speculation. I, I think, yeah. you know, for me, I don't really care to hash into the details exactly of, of what was done, what was said. I don't think it needs to be really debated in the, in the public sphere. It's more so just about, you know, the Celtics tried to handle this um, in a, a legally appropriate manner, came to the conclusion that they came to. And now there's, you know, a month from now going to be basketball that needs to be played. And I, I care about everyone in the organization and the team, the, the members that are going to be, you know, picking up the pieces and moving forward, that they're still able to, to do their jobs effectively and, and feel like they're a part of a culture that supports them and, and doesn't have a lot of holes in it. So uh, for me, it, it's been a, a busy, intense week in a lot of ways to be a Celtics fan, to be know, covering the Celtics team, but first and foremost, just thinking about all the people who either were involved or have been touched by this in a, uh, in an unfortunate way. Or have been pulled into this by fans or just, you know, people that are on Twitter posting photos of women throughout the organization, which is just like absolutely disgusting behavior in every way. I, I just can't even, I can't really fathom what would possess someone to do that. I think it's just, absolutely gross uh we, we don't need to dive into speculation and frankly like uh, it's why i avoided like if you've noticed like i haven't really tweeted about it and it's because it just seems so abundantly clear based off of all of the reporting that we don't have the full story yet it, from the moment that this was reported uh it seemed like we didn't have the full story yet and i just don't know why there was such a rush to comment upon any of this like now we at least have some uh space from it in a real way that will allow us to understand the implications of what Ime Yudoka has done but yeah it's disgusting and you really I'll be honest with you I can't imagine that he's gonna coach another game for the Boston Celtics uh just straight up I, I would be completely stunned at this point uh if you're a team you don't suspend a person for a year and expect them to come back and coach and this isn't based on reporting like don't aggregate this like i haven't asked around or anything it's just sheer logic i, I can't foresee Ime yudoka coaching another game for the boston celtics uh because think about the culture that he'd be bringing back think about how important that is from a top-down structure if you're an nba coach uh setting an example on some level. I mean, I know we're talking about adults here, but uh, at the end of the day, there, there is an example to be set. And I would just be stunned if the Boston Celtics led by Brad Stevens, who in his press conference seemed just absolutely disgusted with this entire situation that it was touching uh, his organization uh, in any way. It's yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard for me to see that Ime Yudoka coaches another game for the Boston Celtics, and he's a guy that just led this team to the NBA Finals and was, you know, one of the best coaches on the basketball court over the back half of the 2021-22 season, and that doesn't matter because uh, he decided to make decisions that were uh, 
against team rules that I think are rightfully in place at the end of the day. Like I've seen a lot of speculation from people online, like, Oh my God, like how can you fire or how can you suspend Ime Yudoka for um, having a relationship with someone within the organization? It's because the power dynamics are so screwed up in that situation, given how powerful he is. Uh, it is just genuinely, these rules are in place to protect company culture. And, you know, we talk about how often, you know, we speak about how the NBA is different than a typical typical corporate workplace. This is one where it's pretty similar, in my opinion. This is one where these, you know, guidelines and safeguards have to be in place. And this is one where if there's a reason that most companies, you know, frown upon organizational uh, relationships, it's because the power dynamics are very difficult to work around. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's unacceptable on Yudoka's part. I don't really think there's another way to frame it. No. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to ask questions about what's next for Ime Yudoka. Does he coach again in Boston? Does he coach again somewhere else? How long? Like, I don't care, to be frank with you. Like, I, I really don't. This is about the team, the culture, the organization being able to heal from a lot of this stuff and to find, find a way to move forward because this is a lot of adversity for the people in that locker room to deal with on a just a basketball standpoint. But again, this is about much more than just basketball right here. Uh, so I don't want to turn it into a discussion ab- about wins and losses and, and product, but everybody is going to be reeling from something like this because he was a, a well-respected voice in the organization that it's very jarring when something like that happens. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, look, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because again, it seems like there's more, there's another shoe to drop. Like the fact that the Celtics said violations, plural within the press release that they said makes me wonder about like what else is to come here with uh, their investigation that I'm sure that they have undertaken and will continue to undertake. I I mean, the plurality of that statement in terms of saying violations made me like that, that, that like caught my eye immediately. I was like, Oh, this is, um, this is something worth looking at and and something that makes me want to continue to like be patient and see what else comes out and, you know, not, dive wildly deep into the weeds on this it's it's a absolutely a story and it's an important story within the nba i just think it'd be like a little bit irresponsible on my part to like continue to comment upon it um until we know more at the end of the day but uh, based off of what we already know uh there's enough here that he should he probably it looks like will never coach again for the boston celtics at least Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about basketball. We're going to dive into the Boyan Bogdanovich to the Detroit Pistons trade. Uh, I absolutely love this trade. I don't know about you. What, what did you think of this, Spins? This is uh, this is beautiful. It was Boyan Bogdanovich for Kelly Olynyk and Saban Lee. Uh, this deal caught me by surprise for a number of reasons because just – we'll talk about the Utah side of it, but even like some people, I think were a little bit surprised that Detroit wanted to go down this road and I'm not, uh, this is the kind of aggressive move that Troy Weaver has always made since he's been in charge of the Detroit Pistons. And I love it. I think it makes a lot of sense for Detroit to do this. So let's talk about it from the Detroit side. First, what is Detroit getting in Boyan Bogdanovich? 
Well, they're obviously getting a veteran type of score. And the surprise for a lot of people who didn't think Detroit would pull the trigger on a deal like this was the fact that, you know, Bogdanovich is a veteran and, and the perception of Detroit was that they're gearing up for more of a, a long-term run in the Eastern Conference. So why would they be going after a guy who, you know, is, is already well into his 30s? But I think Troy Weaver is really smart to recognize that he has what he believes is the young core in Detroit with guys like Jaden Ivey, Cade Cunningham, and Jalen Duran. And too many times we have young rosters that are just completely devoid of shooting. And this is a great addition to find a veteran who can come in and space the floor effectively to be able to see how Cade and, and Jaden in particular react to operating out of the pick and roll and you know, being able to, to be primary creators in a floor that's properly spaced for NBA basketball. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just, it, that's one thing that always irks me about a lot of these rebuilding projects is you look at them and in years one, two, and three, they're in the bottom two or three league-wide and three-point field goal percentage. I don't think Detroit's going to be that way anymore. It was a huge issue for them last year with Cade Cunningham. When you add another handler in, into the mix and Jaden Ivey, you need to be able to space the floor properly. So Sadiq Bey, Boyan Bogdanovich, you know, maybe you add a guy like Isaiah Livers in there where he can give you consistent rotation minutes. There are a lot of wings that are going to provide that spacing. So now it's time to see how much Cade and Jaden Ivey grow. As a guy who loved both of them and had top three grades in each of their draft classes, I absolutely yeah. love being able to see how they're going to react to this early on in their careers. Well, and, and think, of, think about just the lineup construction that the Pistons are going to be able to run out here. Like they got Alec Burks, right? Alec Burks is a 40% three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. William Bogdanovich is one of the best spot three-point shooters in the league. Um, Sadiq Bey is an awesome three-point shooter. Isaiah Livers is an awesome three-point shooter. Uh, Isaiah Stewart, I think they have like some general hope that he can become a three-point shooter in the future. Frank Jackson has knocked down threes in the past, for sure, especially off the catch. Like, they have some real dudes that can now shoot and space it around Cade Cunningham, which is something that he was missing last year. And it's the offense that he will particularly thrive in. This is a guy that processes the game in a very similar way to Luka Doncic. And look at the way that Dallas has surrounded Luka with shooting, with spacing, with versatility, positional versatility across the board i think it's going to be really valuable and then by the way like you know do i think that giving marvin bagley 12 million dollars a year was a good idea i don't but do i think that surrounding marvin bagley with three shooters and cade cunningham could actually make marvin bagley like kind of thrive a little bit and could be the pick and roll dive weapon that cade cunningham needs kind of like i think that actually it helps make their roster fit together. And on top of it, I think that like Boyan's offensive creation is a little bit underrated. He's a really good processor of the game as well. And on top of it, like for instance, like if you want to run him in second units with Jaden Ivy, yes. right? If you don't want to start Jaden Ivy, it's going to be really helpful to have someone like Boyan out there. You can just kind of toss the ball to Boyan in the mid post and he's like a really effective creator, like on the block, taking advantage of mismatches. Uh, you can run a lot of really interesting creative sets to make it work. I love this move for the Detroit Pistons, like across the board. I think it just makes complete and total sense. And I think this is the kind of thing, like you mentioned, that 
organizations just don't do often enough. They don't surround young guys with older vets that make sense for their games and will help develop them. Boyan is an awesome spot shooter, especially from the corners. Cade is going to find him so often off of pick and rolls. It's going to be awesome. He's They're going to just absolutely uh, thrive, I think, this year, that combination. Uh, and by the way, like you have another guy that can create shots in Boyan, uh, especially like off of closeouts and attacking from the mid post and then kicking out. Cade's a great spot up shooter as well. This is the kind of move that I think just completely actualizes Cade. It's the kind of move that I think makes a lot of sense with Jaden Ivey as well uh, as a player that, you know, is going to take shooting, especially early in his career to thrive around all around. Like uh, this is a home run move for me for Detroit, just because on top of it, they didn't have to give up anything else. Like, they didn't have to give up any long-term asset. Like all due respect to Saban Lee, but I think that, you know, the train left the tracks or whatever you want to say when they drafted Jade Nivey, who's right. another like extremely athletic guard that is going to be like the compliment to Cade, right? So they didn't have to give up anything. They just had to take on some money at the end of the day and they get this guy that's really going to help their team develop uh, as they continue to go through this young process of building this group. I think it's a, a home run move in every single regard. Like a lot of people are going to focus on Bogdanovich's age being 33 or maybe some of the defensive mm-hmm. missteps that he has, but he averaged 18 a game last year. And that's a lot of production to be able to, to bring in when you lost Jeremy Grant earlier on in the off season. You know, if, if you look at the, the aggregate of those two deals with Jeremy Grant and with this one, they essentially gave up Jeremy, uh, the pick that turned into being Ishmael Kamagate Saban Lee and Kelly Olenek. So Jeremy and kind of pieces that may, uh, you know, come into fruition down the line or were more salary fillers for Bogdanovich, first round pick, two future seconds and Prachita. That's, that's a really good overall haul because I think Bogdanovich fits better stylistically on the offensive end of the floor around what they need with this younger core. And they, have future assets to be able to burn as a result of it. They didn't give up any draft equity in order to get Boyan, which is really important to me. As soon as they drafted Jaden Ivey, you're right. Saban Lee, as as much as I like the intrigue of him, wasn't really going to be a great fit there in Detroit. So this is the definition of asset management and you know moves made by Troy Weaver to to just get all of the pieces in sync right away. And Let's move to the Utah side of this. Can you figure this out for Utah? (laughs) I'm surprised that they didn't end up getting some sort of a pick or a valuable pick for Bogdanovich. I thought that he would have commanded somewhere in the range of a a late first, a heavily protected first, maybe two valuable seconds along with salary filler. Like, And uh, and for what it's worth, Andy Larson over in Utah did say that the Jazz had – first round picks, late first round picks on the table. Uh, I believe he writes for the uh, Tribune, Salt Lake Tribune over there in Utah. Um, they had late first round picks on the table for Boyan, but it would have involved taking on future salary. Right. I, I don't know why they weren't willing to do that. Like all of their books, like they're actually pretty locked in in terms of their books until 2024. I can't imagine that like a team was making them take salary like way into the future. All of the teams were making them take salary way into the future, like into 2025 even. Uh, 
in a Boyan trade, I mean, I, so here's what this deal does for them. It opens like a six and a half million dollar trade exception. It opens six and a half million away from the luxury tax. This is a team that weirdly actually was very close to the luxury tax because they were competing so hard uh, with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. So it does create space for them from the luxury tax. And on top of it, like, I guess there are early season implications where every loss for them matters. Uh, getting rid of Boyan probably helps them increase their lottery odds and thus give them a better chance to get Victor Wembanyama. I, I just don't think this team is good enough. Like, they're good enough to be pesky. They have enough veterans to be annoying on any given night. And if they're guys, like, particularly, they have a lot of, like, variance-based shooters, right? Like, if Lowry Markkinen is making seven threes in a night and Colin Sexton has it going and, you know, Jordan Clarkson and Malik Beasley, like, if they have it going, they're probably going to be okay on any given night. But, like, this is not a good team. Like, this is still, like, the 13th best team in the West, even with uh, Boyan Bogdanovich. So... I just don't know why why they were in a rush. Like if, if this is what you were getting, if this was the only thing that you were going to be able to accomplish where you weren't getting any future facing asset, like all due respect to Saban Lee, he might make the roster, but like I don't see him as anything else other than like a third point guard long term until his shot gets figured out. And I have real skepticism on that front. I, I just don't see why you wouldn't wait. Like, you don't have to do this deal now. I don't think that you're going to win four more games in the first two months of the season because you have Boyan Bogdanovich on your roster surrounded by all these other guys. Yeah, I can't speak to the timing, Sam. I have no idea why this was the appropriate deal for them to pull the trigger on as opposed to any others that they you know had in the hopper or could have waited on over the next several months. What's striking to me about just Utah's approach to the rebuild in general is that I feel like it's rather thin on high upside wings or athletes that can play at the three and four spots. Like they've managed to accumulate a lot of different guards. They've managed to get a lot of younger pieces, but I also think that the the pathway to you know futuristic roster management as we're seeing is just length at a lot of different positions and those toolsy, unique pieces to develop. And that's no disrespect to a guy like Taylor Horton Tucker or even Malik Beasley, but I don't know how much they really fit into that mold. So this is, when you look at the accumulation of actual players that the Utah Jazz have, have acquired over the last two months, I don't love the fit together, but I also don't know what this does to give them roster balance in evaluating all of their younger guys. Like Saban Lee a player who I seem to like a little bit more than you in terms of upside. I like his athleticism. I think he's a really good creator out of the pick and roll. If he's sharing any type of court time with Colin Sexton, Taylor Horton, Tucker, and Jordan Clarkson, like what is he doing out there? Because he does a lot of the same things, just not as well. So, you know, and by the way, like that's, that's just a, small amount of it. Like he's yeah. probably behind Nikhil Alexander Walker in the yeah. pecking order. He's probably behind Leandro Bomaro in the pecking order. Like th- that's the thing. Like I actually kind of sneaky, like Leandro Bomaro mm-hmm. a little bit. He's eighth in the pecking order in terms of being able to get on ball reps on this team. And like, that's kind of who he is, is like a bigger like point forward who can kind of like run the fast break and, uh, you know, create plays with his passing ability. Like I, I, 
I don't know. It's it's a weird like it feels like there are still more shoes to drop here. I don't know if they're going to drop before training camp necessarily, given that it starts this coming week. But like, I just don't. I, I don't. I don't love the roster. Like you can make the case they got Ochag, Baji, great. They got Fulmaro, who's like six foot seven. They signed Simone Fontecchio, who's a really interesting uh, like floor spacer out of Italy. But yeah, I agree with you. Like, I'm not a big Malik Beasley fan. Um, you know, I actually like Lowry Marketing, I think a little bit more than most, but, you know, I think that Lowry might be their best player now. Yeah. And I don't know how good that team is if Lowry is your best player. Uh, the guy that I do really like that they got that I think fits really well with Lowry mm-hmm. is Jared Vanderbilt. Like, yeah. to me, if you saw, I think that Tony Jones. Um, confirmed this, but I think it was John Gambadoro out of Phoenix said that Phoenix was in the mix to get Boyan Bogdanovich, but they were very insistent that Jared Vanderbilt be included within that trade. I think that's genius for Phoenix. I think Jared Vanderbilt's the kind of guy that's going to help a team win just like he helped Minnesota win last year. And I think that Boyan would help a team win just like Boyan has regularly done throughout his career in Indiana in Utah now, he's a really effective player. I think I'm even a little bit higher on his defense than you are. Like, I think that he's big, he's strong, like he's physical. He doesn't back down defensively and like he makes the right plays. He's just slow and that got exacerbated in Utah's perimeter scheme where, uh, you know, they didn't really have a lot of ability to cut off dribble penetration at the point of attack with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, I think that what it comes down to for Utah is they're kind of spinning their wheels here for a minute, uh, ch- trying to churn through some of the guys they got here on uh, within contracts that they just had to take on uh, because you have to match salaries within mm-hmm. trades under the collective bargaining agreements rules. And I, I don't know how many of these guys are going to be on uh, the next Utah jazz roster that contends like, Maybe Lowry, maybe Sexton, maybe Vanderbilt, maybe Oshai. Like that, that might be it. Like you, I put the over under at like two and a half. That sounds, yeah, that sounds about right. And, and look, Kelly Olinick, another guy I just want to bring up here, like 31 years yeah. old, I think 12 million this year, uh, only $3 million guaranteed next year. So yeah. he might be an appealing enough piece to be able to flip into something else down the line. It's not going to net you much. I, I don't think that he's worth buying out necessarily, um, but just an intriguing no, no. veteran to to have around in, in a lot of different ways. And it's worth mentioning Danny Ainge drafted Kelly right. Olenek. I'm sure that there are some, you know, like feelings there in terms of uh, really like him. There's a reason that they drafted him. Thinks he's a good player. I guess you can make a case that this balances out Utah's roster a little bit more, like being able to play more of those young guys and then having Kelly is like a developmental floor spacer. But I don't know. I, I just don't think this team has enough guys that they're trying to actually get eyes on right now yeah. for that to even like hold as much water as getting a first round pick and taking on a bit more future money. If that's the opportunity cost, you should just do that, I think. Well- well, and if Kelly is supposed to be this great floor spacer that plays well with the young guys and is a good veteran, he probably would have kept that role in Detroit or at least performed a little better than he did last year. Like it was kind of a down year for him. He, he struggled to play more than 20 minutes a night. I just think that, it, you know, it's going to be hard to see more than that role coming for him in Utah. 
we're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Uh, okay, let's move on to Jay Crowder requesting a trade from the Phoenix Suns. He's not going to be a training camp. He is, I guess, just unhappy with, it seems like his role as much as anything else in Phoenix. I mean, he literally tweeted an Instagram video of a hype video, like requ requesting a trade. That's like an all-time move, I feel like. Shout out Jay Crowder. Uh Jay Crowder is a useful piece. Like I think that he's always gone a little bit underrated by the analytics community. Like he, I know is a bit inconsistent as a shooter, but brings a whole lot of toughness is a good defender, at least in terms of, you know, sliding down and being able to deal with more physical players. I like it. Like, I think that he's a useful, useful piece. I, I, if I was Phoenix, I'd be very disappointed with this outcome because I think he's the kind of guy that helps you compete. And this is a team that ostensibly, like even in light of everything that's going on with them organizationally, uh, this is a team that's trying to compete. They have the talent to win a title right now. It's strange things going on there in Phoenix, right? Like Crowder, he, he just turned 32. So he's, 
not necessarily in his prime anymore, but his game because of its physicality and the intangibles and the motor that he brings to the table, you know he's going to be able to bring it every night. Like Phoenix is a 64-win team that is now losing a guy that started every game for them last year. That's going to be challenging to replace just in a a one-for-one type of deal on the trade market. Uh, Again, hard to know exactly what's going on, what led to Crowder's request, as well as it's always hard to gauge just how upset he is because he tweets everything in caps lock. So there's, there's a lot to sift through with exactly what's going on there, but some contender should want him. And I know we can go back and forth on to who might be a good fit or, or the, you know, the logistics of being able to acquire him. He still has a little bit in the tank to be able to give to the right team that just spaces him in the corner and says, go out there and rough up the other team's best wing offensive player for 25 to 30 minutes a night. Okay. So let's dive into some teams that I think make some sense. Uh, The the first team that immediately stood out to me is Dallas. Uh, This is the kind of piece that I think Dallas could really use, you know, a floor spacer, tough guy uh, fits their defensive scheme in terms of really liking uh, the switchability uh, that Jason Kidd, really brought to the table last year with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, They have a contract that matches relatively well with Dwight Powell. I think he's making right around 11 million. Jay Crowder, by the way, is right around 10 million. So a fairly easy number to match. There are just a lot of players that make around 10 million because Jay Crowder was a mid-level exception guy. There are certainly a lot of guys around the league that are mid-level exception players. So, I think that you could do something like Dwight Powell and, you know, maybe a future facing pick, maybe like a late first that's very heavily protected, like top 25 protected in the first round that becomes two seconds or something like that. Um, but Dwight Powell also like sneaky could give the Phoenix Suns yeah. a couple of minutes here and there. Uh, through as like a backup center. This is a team that doesn't exactly have a great option behind DeAndre Ayton. And this is a team that obviously with DeAndre Ayton loves to run as many ball screens with their big diving to the rim as possible. That's like Dwight Powell's one real skill. Like he is a legit smart screener, rim runner to the basket. That's one that like really genuinely makes a lot of sense to me just across the board. Like if I was Phoenix, I could get an additional asset. I could get, a guy that maybe makes some roster sense for me uh, doesn't help my team, but I think it's going to be hard for them to do something that actually helps the team uh, when acquiring or when moving Jay Crowder, given that this is a team that's competing now. Yeah. And they've lost a lot of leverage by the fact that Crowder's already kind of sitting out in camp in that regard. Uh, Dallas was the first team that came to my mind too, in trying to find the, the right destination for where Crowder would be useful. I think Dwight Powell going back makes a lot of sense. Another sneaky aspect to this, though, Sam, this is a, a Cam Johnson uh, contract year, is it not? It is. Yeah. So, I mean, if I was Phoenix, I would be trying to sign Cam Johnson very, very much right now Yes, uh, to an extension. And if I was Cam Johnson, it'd take a big number. It'd okay. take a big number given what, uh, given that A, people I think don't really recognize that Cam Johnson is fairly old. For a guy entering his fourth year, this is really Cam Johnson's, like, he'll turn 27 in March. This is Cam Johnson's, like, major chance to get paid in a big way. Uh, 
he needs to maximize his contract value right now. I, I, it would take a big number if I was Cam Johnson in terms of being willing to take an extension right now from Phoenix. And particularly because minutes are now opening up more for him, maybe a starting role. He gets just a little bit more touches because Crowder's out of the way, particularly if you're talking about a deal with Dallas that would not bring back another wing in return. I, I think that that's one area that Phoenix just doesn't have a ton of depth right now. And, well, and, and, and on top different. of it, and on top of it, how much does the developing ownership situation with yeah. Robert Sarver finally being willing to sell the team following the revelations of his, you know, uh, essentially racist and misogynist behavior uh, as the owner of the Phoenix Suns, as shown by the report commissioned by the NBA? How much does the sale of the team impact a potential extension for Cam Johnson? I don't know. Like, is it a situation where the owners of the team, because it's split in a lot of different directions, like Robert Sarver owns 35% and there's like a big group that kind of owns quite a bit. Um, Is it a situation where they're like, let this be the next guy's problem with Cam Johnson in terms of, well, you know, sign him to a $20 million a year extension and just lock him in and make him happy so that we can try and win a title this year. Or is it a situation where they want to maximize as much value as possible and, uh, Cam Johnson on a $20 million a year contract doesn't make sense when trying to sell the team. These are the kind of things that like really come into play in these negotiations. And it's, uh, it's fascinating. I, I came up with another one that just matches in terms of salary for Jay Crowder. Danny green is on a $10 million a year, uh, this year contract for the Memphis Grizzlies. They got Danny green in the D'Anthony Melton deal where they also acquired the number 23 overall pick, which they used on David Roddy um, 24 overall pick, maybe uh, Danny green. And like a, again, like a heavily protected first that turns into multiple seconds or something. Like I, here's the thing. If you're Memphis, is Danny Green a little bit more valuable to you than Jay Crowder? Because if you think Danny Green is going to be back for March, April, something like that, and if you're Phoenix, by the way, this whole thing also stands to reason as well. Uh, is Danny Green a little bit more helpful for you if you think that he is going to come back healthy uh, by the time the playoffs start? So if I'm Phoenix, I think that, Danny Green is valuable in the fact that he's just another, a little more reliable floor spacer around Chris Paul. And I think that that's a, mm-hmm. a proven track record to be able to win games. Um, if I'm Memphis, I actually would prefer Crowder. And okay. the, bi- the biggest reason for that is the early season times when Jaron Jackson might be out mm. of the lineup. Having another guy who can come in there, play the four, defend physically, is going to help them bridge that gap early on. I think the Western Conference at the top this year figures to be a bloodbath with Denver, with the Clippers getting a little bit healthier. The Grizzlies need to win every game that they can in the regular season. They're a team that's built for that anyway, just with their mental makeup. But Crowder fits in in that regard intangibly, but helps fill a little bit of a need in the earlier part of the season. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a good call. I mean, I kind of dig it. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers, or, and by the way, we should mention John Morant also like is seemingly campaigning a little bit to get Jay Crowder uh, on Twitter. He had a little, I think he said like back soon or something like that on Twitter. Um, 
The Portland Trailblazers, I think, make a lot of sense. Portland trying to compete, team that could use more depth. If I remember correctly, I believe they haven't in, uh, they don't have a trade exception anymore, but they have some contracts that like you could theoretically align. Like if you wanted to do is like maybe like Nasir Little and Justice Winslow gets you pretty close or no, not Justice. It'd have to be like Nasir Little and no, you could do Nasir and Justice Winslow, I think, couldn't you? So, something like that or like Nasir Little and Keon Johnson and like a minimum or something like that would get you really close in terms of the number. If you don't want to move Josh Hart, which I wouldn't want to move Josh Hart. Um, I think Josh Hart's just better than Jay Crowder at this point. Um, Portland, I think makes a lot of sense. Maybe like the Suns like Nasir Little and, you know, some of these guys, right. Uh, Maybe you wouldn't have to give up a pick in that scenario. Uh, You know, just every single team that's competing. Like I think the Miami heat could use another guy that's tough. Crowder's obviously worked really well before in Miami. Um, it, it's hard to find the salaries that like totally work in Miami necessarily, but you know, uh, maybe you could find a way to get a third team involved yeah. if you really wanted him. Uh, I mean, like the Milwaukee Bucks, like could the Bucks find a way to go get Jay Crowder and bring another, bring like that PJ Tucker element that they kind of yeah. missed a little bit last year, I thought. Um, you know, in terms of again the number, it's kind of hard to get there uh, for the Bucks, unfortunately. But uh, and they don't really have like a they don't have a trade exception that like really makes sense for them. It's a little bit harder to find like the exact spot than you would think uh, for Jay. Even though there are a lot of guys around the league that are on mid-level exceptions, a lot of those guys are valued to their teams, and they don't necessarily want to give them up. Yeah. Uh, but. Th- Dallas is the one that makes sense. Is there another one for you that makes sense? You know, I, I think like Brooklyn kind of stands out to me. Again, I don't know the mechanism for going out in a way of acquiring him, but just another tougher front court, like wing defender that would alleviate some of the pressures from, uh, you know, Kevin Durant in, in the postseason. But a lot of that's going to depend mm-hmm. on kind of the health of a guy like TJ Warren. Like, I, I don't know what to expect from him this year. If TJ Warren looks pretty good and bubble TJ Warren is who we're getting, then like Crowder wouldn't really move the needle too much. Here's a weird one for me. What if the Suns moved Crowder in a bigger deal to go get someone like Harrison Barnes? Use Crowder as like the big salary number, then tossed in Dario Sharich or something like that uh, to get to the Barnes number. And then they moved like a first round pick to get Harrison Barnes. You get Jay Crowder for a team that's like trying to compete now. Jay is going to take up a little bit less offensive usage than Harrison Barnes theoretically would, um, which allows you to get Keegan Murray a little bit more involved even. Uh, offensively, you have you know the, the Sabonis and uh, De'Aaron Fox combination is going to take up a ton of your minutes. You have Kevin Herter already. You have Malik Monk. You, you have a lot of shot creation as it is. Maybe Phoenix is willing to toss you a future asset in order to get a Harrison Barnes or something like that. Like, I, I wonder if, you know, Phoenix is Sacramento trying to compete now. I don't know like how interested they are, but if they think that maybe there's not a big of a difference between Harrison Barnes and Jay Crowder for our particular situation as, uh, 
you know, maybe Phoenix does between Jay Crowder and Harrison Barnes. Maybe that's something that like you could make a case for. But again, Sacramento wants to compete now. It'd be all dependent upon Sacramento thinking like the difference there is not enormous, I think. Yeah, I actually really like that, uh, that hypothetical deal that you proposed there. The, the Sharich inclusion or just having him around as another piece to maybe bundle with Jay Crowder really mm-hmm. changes the elements here uh, for what Phoenix is or is not going to do. So uh, obviously that's one to monitor, but we mentioned it a little bit earlier. Like who's really calling the shots and can make decisions on extensions, right. on trades, like what owner is going to be able to approve this? That makes me wonder how long this might really drag out is this something that we're expecting to be resolved by the time the first game of the season is played given the fact that the Suns are just saying he's not going to be here for training camp or is this going to be something that potentially drags out longer until we have a solution on the ownership side and then the other one that I kind of wondered about was, is there like a Seth Curry for Jay Crowder move? You brought up Brooklyn in our little chat, you know, maybe Seth Curry in a pick for Jay Crowder. Uh, Crowder helps them a little bit defensively. They have like Seth, Seth Curry. You can make a case that you can kind of make up for all of his shooting production with the return of Joe Harris, with Patty Mills being around again. Um, Maybe you want another wing again. Like this is a team that, you know, has TJ Warren, as you mentioned, and has, uh, you know, another guy in Royce O'Neal that they acquired for a first round pick this past year. I don't know. Like, that's one that it at least caught my eye if Brooklyn wants to try and hold this thing together for one more year and then see what happens. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's Brooklyn's just a weird team to me because not only could they implode at any second with a lot of the the (laughs) volatility that's going on there, but like you said, the Harris and Seth Curry overlap. I think that there's some overlap with guys like Warren or uh, even Ben Simmons and, you know, Royce O'Neal of these kind of like less than desirable shooters who might have to space the floor around Durant and Kyrie when they go nuclear. There's just a lot to work through with Brooklyn. Uh, I think Crowder helps depending on who they would be sending out and that type of deal. Yeah. And, and, you know, just trying to find like another landing spot. There, there are a lot of teams here. I don't think that Phoenix is going to have an issue moving Jay. It seems like it'll happen before the season uh, just based off of everything. Um, You know, you you don't have a guy sit out while you're trying to work on a trade and then have that reported, uh, you know, without that seemingly coming to fruition relatively soon. So I, I would think we're going to get conclusion here semi soon, but we'll see that that's just speculation on my part. I, I don't really have insight into that. That's just kind of a guess on how these things move forward. Right. Yeah. And again, who's calling the shots in all of this, who, who ends up making the final yeah, right. call. So uh, Phoenix is just a weird spot right now. Okay. Next up on our list, a couple of extensions here. CJ McCollum extended two years, $64 million with the New Orleans Pelicans. When CJ got to New Orleans, he was clear. He was adamant. He said he sees New Orleans as a long-term home and he was very happy to stay. I don't know, man. I think it's pretty cool that here we are. CJ McCollum, two years, 64 million man of his word. He's going to be around the Zion Williamson, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, core for two more three more years realistically 
it's it's a good deal for New Orleans to be able to keep him around, just given the fact that they gave up a, a decent amount in order to acquire him. That any time you go out there and you sell some assets to get a veteran win now player, you want to make sure you don't just have him as a rental. And extending uh, McCollum for those couple extra years really helps. You'd mentioned Sam keeping the core together, and a lot of those young guys who are signed long term, like McCollum, is now in New Orleans through twenty twenty six. So, yeah. so Zion's there till 2027 with his new extension. Brandon Ingram through 2025. Murphy and Dyson Daniels are on multi, either three or four year team controlled, team friendly deals. This is a really appealing long term fit and destination that, you know, if the pieces really look good once Zion is there, they're going to have things rolling for the next several seasons. Yeah. And you bring up the idea of, having this core together. And I think that CJ is one of those players as a guard that while I have some concerns about how all of these pieces fit together long-term, just in terms of getting all of the disparate skill sets on the court together at once, CJ is a guy that kind of actualizes all of this because of his shooting ability, because of his shot creation ability. Uh, He's almost a perfect fit for a guard to play next to Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, I think. Someone that can be a little bit unselfish, but can also go get his when he needs to. Uh, someone that can space the floor for Zion and for Brandon to be able to get into the mid-range. Someone who, as we saw when he got to New Orleans, really developed a little bit more as a passer and playmaker than some of what we saw in Portland for the most part throughout his career. I really like this. Like, I think, again, this is a situation where you re-sign a veteran to actualize some of the young players on your roster and give them a better developmental situation than what they previously had. I think this is a win for New Orleans, like, unconditionally. And this is a situation where CJ is taking a little bit less than what he's making now just in order to lock in and make sure that he's set long-term here. Yeah, he's signed until he's 35, which I think is the incentive mm-hmm. for him to lock in those two extra years is, you know, it, it just it's that financial security over the long run. It, we're talking about a new CBA, a new television deal in the next couple of years. Maybe that changes the value of the back end years of this contract in relation to some other players around the league. He was really good for New Orleans after they acquired him. I mean, 24 points, yep. six assists per game. That was obviously with Zion out of the lineup. But like you said, the the fit as a floor spacer and as a guy who can go out there and create his own is something that a a younger team still trying to figure out how the pieces fit really need. A veteran who might know when to go pick his spots and score, who can play off the ball with all of those guys. And he's just a a really, really smart basketball player. That's something that I've always loved about C.J. McCollum. And for this team that has a lot of natural talent and younger guys on it, having somebody who can play with the ball in their hands and make good decisions, invaluable. Yeah, and look, there are some defensive concerns here. Like a lot of the Pelicans' better players are questions on defense right now. CJ has his limitations just in terms of his athleticism and size. Brandon Ingram uh, has his limitations in terms of like defensive awareness and being consistently engaged. Zion is just not good on defense right now for whatever reason. After being a monster on defense at Duke, he's just not, he he was not good, uh, be it conditioning, be it 
whatever you want to say over the course of his early season, Will Guillory at the athletic had a really great story about some of the things that Zion is doing this off season to work on his conditioning, which I thought was really great to see. Uh, there is some concern, I think, there. But again, the Pelicans have done a really good job of getting guys like Trey Murphy, like Herb Jones, uh, that are good defenders to maybe surround those guys with. Maybe at some point they have to move one of these three core pieces they have, but that's a problem for down the road. I think that you sign CJ McCollum and move forward and be happy with it. Yeah, it's, it's a win for both sides for me. Love to see that happen. Um, I I'm so intrigued by the Pelicans and what they've built and the roster yeah. that, that they have. The combination of positionless pieces with guys who excel in one or two particular areas. It's just going to be a fun team to watch this year. And, and, and I know we talked about it before, but I got to say, it, Willie Green does an unbelievable job of making all of the pieces work. Just an incredibly smart coach. And I, I love the just everything this team's doing. Yeah, totally. Let's go to the Dean Wade extension now. Three years, $18.5 million. I think that people don't quite recognize that Dean Wade is like a pretty useful NBA player. Uh, six foot nine, can shoot the ball, is more mobile defensively than what he gets credit for. I think this is a deal that kind of makes sense across the board, just straight up. Like, I think that. You know, it, Dean still has not quite established himself as a consistent rotation player, but he is a very, very small step away from that to where if this year he does that, he immediately becomes a bargain on this contract. But the Cavs also have a lot of pieces that could steal minutes from him. So there's an inherent risk if you're Dean Wade and his agency to not do a deal now. Like, Lamar Stevens, like Isaac Coro, like Kevin Love, even to an extent, overlaps with him. And, uh, you know, Karis Levert is going to take some minutes at the three. Then, because they have so many flexible pieces with Evan Mobley and with everyone else that I kind of just mentioned, like you're going to have some moments where Robin Lopez is in at the five and it's going to slide everyone up the lineup. And that could create some weird minute structures for Dean Wade. So, if you wanted to lock in and like make sure that you got, some real money and security here long-term. I think that doing this, if you're Dean Wade makes a lot of sense. I also wonder if we look at this deal and it ends up being a bargain for the Cavs. Yeah. Dean Wade. I mean, traditionally more of a stretch four, if you will, in terms of what his role is when the Cavs went with their supersize me lineups last year of Allen and Mobley out there, we saw in the starting group that pushed Markin and more to the three. And it did the same with Wade in those second units where, mm-hmm. you know, Kevin Love would play one of the four or the five. They'd try to leave Allen or Mobley in for some stretches to have some defensive impact and rim protection. And Wade minutes came more at the three. He was fine defensively. The one area where you'd think there would be a little bit of a, a little bit of a concern. He just bothers bigger, taller wings because he's smart with angles. He doesn't really bite on pump fakes. He competes really hard with his first step and tries to cut guys off. That matters. Uh, we saw last year that, you know, having a guy who might be more traditionally a stretch four play that three position in Cleveland worked well. So for the Cavaliers, this is the right type of move to be able to make because it's not an overly expensive contract. And like you yep. said, from from Wade's perspective, the timing of this does make sense because you don't know what the rotation is going to be with some of the newer pieces that they have brought in, mainly Donovan Mitchell. 
and how that might change the the rotations at that wing spot. So uh, a good timing move from both sides, but the what you led with is the prevailing takeaway for me. I don't think people realize how good Dean Wade actually is. Yeah, like a- actually a very valuable, like useful piece here. Now I've seen some people note that you know the Cavs can clear off some real money off of their books if they really would want to in 2023, 24. So like next off season, uh, Kevin Love comes off the books. Karis Levert comes off the books. Uh, Dylan Windler can come off the books, right? They have one year deals on Robin Lopez and Howell Neto. Um, Like they have some guys that they could theoretically move on from if they really truly wanted to and you can be in a situation where you have like you know 83 91 you can be at like 106 million dollars basically for donovan mitchell jared allen darius garland evan mobley isaac okoro and ricky rubio the guys that they have locked in for next year which would give them like real salary cap space next offseason if they want I just don't think that like if a real free agent wants to come there, I don't think it's going to be hard to move off of like the Ricky Rubio deal or the Isaac Okoro deal and then get that same level of money that you want. Uh, I think that it's not going to be that difficult for them to maintain that flexibility while having signed this deal. And then on top of it, you know, it, this all depends upon them not wanting to re-sign Kevin Love, who finished second place in the Sixth Man of the Year award last year, and Karis LeVert, who's like a semi-valuable real piece that helps them with shot creation, although they might not need that as much anymore with Donovan Mitchell being there now. So I, I think that it's just I'm not that worried about the impact that this has on the Cavs' flexibility long-term. I think that this is just a smart move. It's a smart move for both sides. One side locks in, gets paid real money. The other side uh, takes on a little bit of risk, but has potential for real reward if Dean Wade takes just a small step forward in terms of being able to stay on the court consistently and can up the three-point volume. I think that's one other thing that like he really needs to work through, being able to get more shots off from three uh, consistently. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's a solid piece to, to have on the roster. I don't think $6 million a year really kills anybody from a cap perspective, so uh, I, I don't really see the downside here for Cleveland. Yep. Okay, mailbag time. Mailbags. Fins, we got some good questions here. Here we go. Looking here from Thunder Chats. What non-Wembenyama prospect do you think best fits with the Oklahoma City Thunder? Oh, that's an interesting one. Best fits. Well, that's assuming that we're building around Giddy, SGA, and Chet, I think, as kind of first and yeah. foremost, the three type of building building block with, pieces that we have there. Yeah. With like Jalen Williams yeah. and... Trey Mann, who is semi-valuable, and Usman Jang, obviously another lottery pick, kind of like being the next tier down, but, you know, worrying more about the fit with that top three, I think. Yeah, I'm going to go Cam Whitmore from Villanova as the... be my uh, pick as well. Yeah, the higher upside guy. Just a little bit of uh, strength and brute force to be able to go with a guy like Chet more at the... I don't want to call Cam a front court piece. I think he's more of a positionless wonder. But having somebody who's really strong bodied individually at their at their position fits well next to a guy like Chet. I think he's got really high upside as a slasher and cutter. There are a lot of high feel good passers 
in Oklahoma City who could actualize that. Uh, I just I think that's positionally as well as upside wise the right fit. Okay. Uh, I agree with that. That's actually the guy that immediately came to mind uh, for me as well. Uh, From DC of the sand. If the Celtics medical staff told you that you couldn't further injure your hip or knee, would you believe them? (laughs) That's a great Uh, question. Look, (laughs) I don't know that I want to dive into that necessarily, but I think this does give us a good opportunity to talk about Robert Williams, who is going to be out for eight to 12 weeks following surgery on i believe his meniscus if i remember correctly right yeah uh, so robert williams played in the playoffs last year made the choice to play in the playoffs um it was reported that the celtics told him he couldn't injure the knee more uh it look I, i don't know what happened but now here we are multiple months later and he's out for almost three months potentially so that's a problem for the Celtics. Uh, it's something the Celtics uh, need to figure out and get together. And, you know, maybe I mean, look, I mean, Robert Williams is a guy that has had knee questions going back to the draft and got paid. Like he is on his extension now. And he, I think probably made a conscious choice on this, that like this might've been his real chance to win a title. And I, I don't know. It's it's a complicated situation. Like, I think there are a number of factors at play there. Yeah, very complicated. I'm not going to get into either the blame game or what went into the decision from Robert to either play through that in June yeah. or to wait this long to get surgery if it was known that it was going to be needed by the time the, you know, the, the damage was done. Um, yeah, it's another good question. It's for me, it's just about the the rest of the roster here in Boston. They lost Daniel Tice by moving him in the Malcolm Brogdon deal earlier this summer. Tice was a really good break class in case of emergency third big man to have in their rotation. You lose him and you don't necessarily replace him. I I know Gallinari was one guy who can play some minutes at the five. He's done uh, with the ACL injury. Now Williams goes down. It's really Al Horford and Luke Cornett and then maybe a couple other like two-way guys or, or training camp flyers that they might be able to, to bring in. It's a, a Celtics team that's thin at the five right now. They can survive the first couple months of the season, but it's the worrying trend of all of this, that year after year there's one lower body, one knee type of injury that Robert Williams suffers. You just hope that this doesn't continue to drag out and and pop up again beyond these eight to twelve weeks that he might be out. Yeah, uh, let's move on to from Caceres Raul in the YouTube comments. Please ask questions in the YouTube yeah. comments. By the way, uh, are the Spurs the most interesting trade team? Cap space plus Pirtle that fits on the LAC trade exception. And they could be happy swapping that Charlotte pick and Boston pick. I absolutely think the Spurs are one of the most interesting teams because they can just take on an enormous amount of money, uh, which will be useful to teams here in three-team trade constructions particularly. Uh, there's just a lot that the Spurs can help out with. I would imagine that more than anything, that's probably what they're waiting for, the ability to just kind of latch on as a third-team destination to make some of these three-team trade constructions work and get a free asset basically for helping to uh you know mechanically allow some of these moves um yeah i just think that i just think the spurs are very very interesting you bring up purtle 
Raul. Uh, Pirtle is absolutely one of the most interesting trade guys for me. I don't know if like, I don't know if like the Clippers like immediately stood out because they already have Zubats who does a lot of the same things that Pirtle does just uh, to me a little bit less effectively because I like Jakob a little bit more, but like, I, I don't know if the Clippers immediately stood out as much as someone like, you know, getting him back in Toronto made just like the immediate sense to me uh, just because, you know, while I do like precious Achua, I, I wonder if they could, get one more big that could really help them defensively maybe um just in terms of depth is, is there is there another team that like stands out for you spins i don't know i just i love purtle i think he's massively underrated in terms of the mainstream yeah. really smart positionally good at a lot of things on the offensive end like i i'm i think i'm purtly enough for the purtle club uh <laughs> san antonio definitely one of the most intriguing yeah. uh trade type of of teams out there I can't think of anybody else uh, that would come to mind, but you mentioned, you know, well, we, we just talked about one that comes well, to mind for me. Yeah. But uh, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of just having like the, the ability to corner the market on salary dump destinations, that yeah. is something that really comes into play in January and February. Once, you know, some injury and knock on wood, we don't get to that point this year, but there's always going to be an injury or two on some contending team or, or, you know, a piece that opens up and to be able to corner the market of absorbing salary allows you to, to move a guy like that and raise the asking price mid-year. I'm like, I think that the thing that you have to find is a team that is willing to like get him longer term. Basically. I wonder if, look, do we think the Grizzlies like, what if you did something like Steven Adams for Pirtle and then like the Grizzlies gave up a first and they could see Pirtle as like their long-term like outcome for being the five man next to Adams that like consistently plays decent minutes. I, I don't, I don't know. We keep mentioning I, Memphis. Memphis is just like built for a consolidation yeah, trade yes. in a lot of ways, but like this isn't even a consolidation trade. Like you could do kind of a number of different things there i I don't know that's one that stands out to me uh is an interesting destination yeah yeah it does okay uh but the clippers yeah like uh raul specifically brought up the clippers i should address them as well um yeah i mean like zubats is there uh he has three more years on his deal Uh, look I, i know that they have that like trade exception but they're like so deep already. I don't, I don't know that that's not one that immediately came to mind for me. The Lakers, like if they could find a way to get to the salary alleg- aggregation before, uh, or like Pirtle was on the roster, like until January and then the Lakers could get to the salary aggregation maybe, but I don't think the Lakers are going to give up their 2027 first for Pirtle either, given how much they seem to be holding on to that thing. So I don't know. I'm not a, uh, I'm I'm trying to find it, but I, I don't I don't know. I think there are a lot of teams that will value Jakob, but not. Um, I, I find the part of the Spurs that I find more interesting is the ability to be like a third team in a trade. Is what yeah. I would say. Okay, let's go to let's go to here the cooler. Why aren't more oh, people cooler. talking about the potential injury risks with Victor Wembanyama? Historically, seven foot three guys and taller just are not very durable. I don't know. I feel like we've been talking about it a decent amount. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> well, I think that's the whole reason that we don't think the number one overall pick race is done yet, despite the fact that Victor just put up another monster game in France over the course of uh, this past weekend where he had like 23 in the French League opener. Yeah, no, I, that, that's the whole reason that it's not a done deal, that Vic isn't like the guaranteed number one overall pick. Yeah, and I just, I think I'm still fatigued from the Chet Holmgren conversation that we've had for much of the last 12 months. Oh, and then, God. you know, he like takes one wrong step on a court that isn't mopped properly. And all of a sudden he's the most brittle guy in America. So, uh, um, yeah, I'm just wrapping my head around pre- preemptive injuries and thinking that they may happen is just one thing I always hate doing. Yeah. Uh, from Jack Thomas in the YouTube comments, who is this year's Utah jazz from last year as in a team that has high expectations for this year, but could actually be a few steps from blowing it up. Personally, my dark horse is Chicago. Ooh, dark horse to blow it up after this season. Um, does it feel unfair to say Brooklyn just because of the potential volatility that could ever, like you just never know. Yeah with them um like i guess that's a sneaky one for me i I don't think that they're a legitimate contender this year but i can easily foresee a a way where charlotte has to go back to the drawing board and hit a little bit firmer of a reset if everything doesn't go their way this year uh but I'll, i'll go with brooklyn as my one kind of team to throw out there yeah brooklyn stands out to me as well i think chicago is a really interesting one given that uh, DeMar DeRozan, I think only has two years left on that contract. Um, so like, you know, if they end up 41 and 41, could they kind of look to maybe move some, move some guys on yeah. something like that? Uh, they obviously also have some young guys with, you know, Pat Williams and Kobe White that they're going to have to make some decisions on after this season. Uh, yeah, I think Chicago's a good one. I think Brooklyn's a good one. I think we just know that Brooklyn is that's coming. I mean, like maybe Atlanta? Like Atlanta, DeJounte Murray only has 2022-23 and 2023-24 on that contract. John Collins is perpetually in trade rumors seemingly. Uh yeah. if that team goes, you know, wins 40 games again, I wonder if they try to like retool on the fly around Trey maybe. Yeah, can can we bring up Phoenix again? Like Chris yeah, Paul. Yeah, that's honestly that might yeah. be the one. Yeah, I mean yeah. Chris Paul is going to be pretty old. We know DeAndre Ayton has had his run-ins with some of the organization there. Like if two of your highest salary pieces, you know, I think Devin Booker stays. I, I think that he's Obviously, young enough yeah. to yeah to continue to build around. But if two of your higher salary pieces are looking for the door or you know, just something goes wrong in the organization. That's prime for a blow up too. But but they're not going to blow it up to like blow it up and rebuild. They're going to blow it up to try and contend. Right. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know if they fit the like idea of this question. I don't know if Atlanta does either, to be honest, given yeah. all of that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's a situation like Utah right now. Maybe, I mean, like Portland, Portland is trying to contend right now, but they are a Damian Lillard trade request away from that stopping. I would think Um, maybe Portland, I think is like a non zero chance there, but I don't, I don't know if like that would count. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And when I think of trying to compete, like I also give a reasonable chance of making an NBA finals this year, which is why Brooklyn and Phoenix are the two that come up most for me. Like I just don't think Portland has the juice to get there where it would be this total shock. If a year from now they're trying to pull 180 and start over. Yeah. Brooklyn is the obvious one. I think Chicago is an interesting one though. That's like a, that's a, that's a good one. I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay, final question here from Simon Rath. Uh, Simon. Would you rather always feel like you have to pee, but you never know when you really have to, or would you always be sweaty? This is this is a very easy one to me. Uh, I always am sweaty. I say that as I'm under the table, like viciously wiping <laughs> my hands on my sweatpants here. So I'm going to go with that because like, I like my life just fine and I can handle that. Yeah. Like I would rather always be sweaty. I don't even think this is close. Like as long as you like don't have bad body odor um, and you're like always like, I think you can make it a way to feel like when you're always sweaty, it's not a hygiene issue. Uh, Whereas like always constantly having to pee is like the most miserable experience I can imagine. Um, That seems horrible. That seems absolutely terrible to me. Yeah. Uh, okay. Movies, TV shows. What did you get into this week, Spins? Well, uh, my wife and I have, I think I talked about this before, started Euphoria. It is, for me, not a euphoric experience. A very strange show for me. I'm, I'm struggling wrapping my head around a lot of the... Uh, the soap opera is well, like, you're like a high school like teach you like go and teach and shit too like yeah it's yeah, it's no, strange on a lot of s- strange on a lot of levels um so we're like I, I don't want to say we're enjoying it but there are a lot of episodes that end in a very artistic fashion in the final few minutes of the episodes and we'll my wife and i will look at each other in bed and just say what did we just watch so uh i think that this is probably the time when for this coming week I need to take some recommendations on what movies or TV shows to start because uh, I'm, I'm kind of at the, the bottom of the yeah. queue right now. If you want to do like high school, like movie or TV show, I absolutely loved do revenge, which is on Netflix. Uh, I just watched that this weekend. Oh my God. What a, what an incredibly fun movie. Just yeah. the most, maybe the most fun I've had watching a movie since Top Gun Maverick. Uh, It is so enjoyable and so silly. And I am all in on the Maya Hawk experience at this point. I think she's incredibly talented uh, as an actress and will be like, and not just like the level she is now. I think she's going to be an absolute superstar. Like one of the like prominent actresses within Hollywood by the time she's like 30. Uh, which is, you know, five or six years from now. Um, I watched a lot of like, you know, two and a half, three star movies. Like I watched Lou on Netflix, which is Alice and Janney playing Liam Neeson, basically. Like if you've seen Taken. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like Alice and Janney doing like Liam Neeson and Taken, basically. It was pretty fun. Um, mm-hmm. wasn't like amazing or anything. It was pretty fun. Um, I watched rogue agent, which is like a spy movie with James Norton. Uh, I watched like a Winona Ryder indie movie. Yeah, no, it wasn't like a, wasn't like a crazy, uh, 
movie weekend for me necessarily, but do revenge was awesome. More importantly, spins the usual uh, subject here that we occasionally do. What did you cook this past week? So not a ton of cooking for me. I traveled for work, was in a hotel for uh, a few nights uh, out on the road. And when I got home, I had this itch Friday night, clear the schedule on making dinner. Uh, we did goat cheese stuffed ravioli with uh, oh, wow. pesto sauce. Yeah, it was, uh, I think the kids would say bussin' bussin'. I don't know what that means, but th- I hear it a lot. Uh, it was good. It was really good. Nice play on the earthy tones of like a basil based pesto and kind of the sweetness of goat cheese that came in there a little did bit you of make your own pasta uh, i did and uh, again a, a little little bit of it leaking again like it's i struggle with the stuffed pasta a little bit more than maybe just the you know the noodles that you, you cook in water and just throw them on a plate uh but for what we were able to get that came out really good that's amazing that's so good uh, Laura and I had a grand final, like Australian football grand final party here over the weekend. And I made a slow cooked pool pork. I made a uh, chori queso, queso fundido, whatever you want to call it when, you know, you put chorizo in a queso dip. So I made that. I made my own mayonnaise um, for sliders. I... Uh, you know, we made some coleslaw. Like it was, it was, it was an enjoyable experience. We had, uh, we had a good time uh, with the food, particularly. That sounds great. Uh, next time, invite me, and I'll, I'll make the trip. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the, the sixteen hour, no, twenty hour flight for you. Yeah, I'm sure right. you'll be there. Um, I don't know. I think that's it. Spins. I think we ran through all of the NBA news and notes here. Uh, tell the people what you've got going on in your life. Tell the people where they can find your work. Yeah, find me uh, on Twitter at TheBoxingOne underscore. TheBoxingOne.substack.com is where you can find a lot of our written work. And then my YouTube channel, Adam Spinella, starting a couple smaller things coming out uh, this week. We've got a, a video that just premiered tonight on kind of the six higher upside guys in the 2023 draft class outside of Victor Scoot and the Thompson Twins, who get a lot of the, the mainstream attention. And then we're starting a series of doing a lot of short, like two to three minute videos on a daily basis, diving into one particular prospect and something that they excel in that's maybe a little bit underrated. So tomorrow is going to be Drew Timmy and his ability to delay his role when setting ball screens. Uh, Another day this week, Marcus Sasser getting skinny on ball screen defense. So uh, a lot of the higher nuanced stuff that I really enjoy doing, just excited to come out with. Uh, earlier this week, I wrote a story on my thoughts on lowering the age limit for the 20, you know, for the future NBA drafts. I don't know when it's actually going to go into place. Sources around the league seem somewhat questionable on like the when part of it. Um, but Adam Silver seems pretty strong on lowering the age limit to 18. I'm not a fan of it. I explain why in the story. Uh, it's funny, like all of the people on Twitter, I expected this to go the opposite way in terms of the reaction to it. I thought it would be people on Twitter would be very mad at it because Twitter tends to be a little bit more of a progressive audience. Um, and I thought the comment section would be like, yeah, this is this makes sense, everything like that. And it totally flipped. It was like the people on Twitter really liked it, but then like the people in the comment section were like, you're a fucking asshole. Like, this is not a pro labor argument. Like, you know, shut the fuck up, like all that stuff. So, uh, 
you got to love it when that happens. I knew it was a controversial topic. You know what I mean? I'm not yeah. worried about like what um, people say. And I think that like, it's not a, it's not a uh, situation where there's a right or wrong answer either. So like when people come at me and say like, yeah, I don't agree with this. Yeah, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's a completely reasonable thing for people to have their own opinions. All I can tell you is like, I live in this world and I know a lot of people who live in this world of evaluation. I know players, I know how mature they are and this is my perspective on it. Um, so yeah, no, I'm not an enormous fan. We didn't really talk about that. I don't know that I I don't really have anything else to say about it. I wrote like 4,000 words about it. You know what I mean? Yep, and I hit the retweet button because I agree with your argument. So that's that's what needs yeah. to be said. Go check out Sam's piece of the athletic. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I'll probably write at some point this week again. Probably not something that uh, people will get as mad at me about as that thing. But you know, I respect it. the only the only thing the only people I will comment back to on that is like you're doing the colleges. Uh, you know, bidding here and you're, you know, in favor of this because you want college basketball to succeed or the NBA is doing this because it wants college basketball to succeed. I could give a fuck about college basketball. Like I will go find prospects wherever. And the people who are like the NBA wants to keep college basketball alive. I think that this is very clearly a move that says otherwise. Like I think that, they if, if they really wanted to keep college basketball as relevant as possible, they would continue allowing these kids to go to college because it continues to build high profile uh, situations for college basketball to get hype like Zion Williamson, like Trey Young, like X, Y and Z superstar player that goes to college every year. So, yeah, no, I like I think that anyone who's trying to come up with motives for. Adam Silver, who I think just like genuinely believes it's the right thing to do for 18 year olds to be allowed in the NBA, which I get. Uh, or for me, like uh, I just, you know, I'm telling you, like, this is my perspective. So, uh, yeah, go read that. It's a fun story. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, I tried to make an argument, basically, and tried to understand where the NBA's perspective is. I just don't. Um, but go read that. And yeah, I think that's all we got. So until next time, we will talk soon. We'll, and by the way. We're going to do this live a little bit more often yeah. with spins and I, we're not going to do it. Um, a lot of time we do it tape to delay uh, for reasons, you know, sometimes we've got a lot going on. Sometimes we have, you know, some things happening where we're, we have a lot of moving parts like in our lives, but we've tried to clear out Sunday nights at this point to be able to just do this live, which I think is a little bit more fun, a little bit more interactive as you guys showed in the comments. Uh, so we're going to try and do that a little bit more often, but until next time we will talk soon. Bye.